Hey everyone, before this podcast begins, we want to tell you about some other arts-related podcasts you're going to love. They are The Conduit Music Podcast, Artsville, Gringo and the Man, Art World Horror Stories, and Not Real Art. On these action-packed podcasts, you'll hear experts talk about creativity, design, the music biz, the art world, visual art, American craft, Chicano art, street art, graffiti, and even stand-up comedy. So be sure to find and follow these great arts podcasts today. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Hello, my creative brothers and sisters. Sourdough here. And I want to tell you about some cool new things we got for you at NotRealArt.com. We just launched our artist education program where you can learn and grow your arts career. We call it the Not Real Art School. Not Real Art School features five free courses with top artists and business experts, all who spoke at our Creators Conference in 2019. Our free courses include important business topics for any artist, such as how to protect your art, how to market your art, how to license your art, and even how to pitch your ideas in Hollywood. Our Not Real Art School program also contains free career advice from top artists who tell you how they achieve success in their careers. These artists include Jorge Gutierrez, Logan Hicks, Julie B., and Human. Take advantage of this empowering content today. Just visit notrealart.com and click on the school link to get access to this valuable educational content. And the best part is, it's all free. Yes, free. So you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Visit notrealart.com today to learn this important business knowledge and grow your arts career. Here's more good news. Not Real Art now offers a new art buying program in collaboration with LA-based art publisher Sugar Press Art. This is great news because now you can easily buy cutting-edge contemporary art at affordable prices and get free shipping with every purchase simply by going to notrealart.com. Sugar Press publishes over 80 amazing contemporary artists that I know you'll love. Artists include Colette Miller, Aaron Yoshi, Jorge Gutierrez, Man One, Risk, Tanner Goldbeck, Max Neutra, Two Fly, and many, many more. To take advantage of our new art buying program, simply go to notrealart.com, click on shop, and you'll be there. You'll find all these amazing artists at affordable prices, and you'll get free shipping. Okay, heads up, my creative brothers and sisters. Not Real Art now has an exclusive membership program designed just for you. If you're an artist or an art lover and you appreciate what we do here at Not Real Art and you'd like to join the family and help support the cause and celebrate creative culture and the artists who make it, please consider becoming a member today. Your membership will help support our work, such as funding our artist grant and production costs for all the programs and content we produce. Your membership will also help us stay independent and commercial free. And when you do become a member, you'll get valuable benefits and perks we think you'll find very cool. And becoming a member is super affordable. Just $5 a month for artists and $10 a month for art lovers. So to become a member of the Not Real Art family, simply go to notrealart.com, click on membership to sign up, and help us celebrate and elevate the creative culture we love and the artists who make it. Thank you. Warning, the Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. 
The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast, where we celebrate creative culture and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Sourdough. And on today's episode, I'm honored to be joined by artist and designer David Schwartz, aka Devious. But that's from another life. And you'll hear more about that on the podcast. But few of you might know him as Devious. I wanted to put that out there. Anyway, David is awesome. He is so talented, and I'm so grateful to have him on. Humble dude, humble guy. I tell you what, if I had his experience and his talent, his abilities, I would not be so humble. (laughs) I'd also be an asshole, I'm sure. But he is not. He is far from it. He is a beautiful soul and a humble, humble dude. And I just love talking to him. I mean, like so many artists, He, of course, you know, pays the bills, you know, doing commercial work, you know, designing for commercial clients, uh, whether they be music labels or high end brands like Aston Martin. He's done a ton of stuff in television and movies. He's worked with celebrities, so on and so forth. Matter of fact, fun fact, and you'll hear more about this, but no joke, David studied and worked under the one and only Prince. For two years, he wrote, recorded, designed, and even toured with Prince. Prince mentored him. Prince respected him and valued his work and his talents, not just as an artist, but a dancer, as a rapper, and a basketball player. (laughs) They used to play hoops together. It's just an amazing story. What a cool, cool, priceless experience that David had working with Prince as a young guy that really taught, you know, put him on a path towards creativity and art and design. And, you know, and so, you know, David's just got this amazing story, but I definitely want you to check him out because what he's doing right now in terms of physical art is so dope. I mean, it's so cool. I mean, as I said, of course, he's doing commercial design, so on and so forth, but the last couple of years he's been, really focusing on his his physical art and you can check it out at rhymecapsule.com and you got to check this out i mean this this art is literally and figuratively heavy art i mean it's just it is heavy uh, culturally heavy emotionally heavy conceptually but also heavy physically. This thing is epic. It's biblical. It is It is a, a biblical proportion. It is so cool. But you definitely got to check it out at rhymecapsule.com, R-H-Y-M-E-C-A-P-S-U-L-E.com, rhymecapsule.com. And if you want to check out David and his commercial work, his design work, you can check him out at davidmadeit.com davidmadeit.com. You're going to love this. You're going to love his stories. You're going to love what it takes to to his story in terms of making this artwork, the challenges, the ups and downs, the the surprises, the the joy, the pain, the backaches, and just the reality, right, of what it takes to realize a vision that you have as an artist. 
uh, and how that vision can grow and evolve and the challenges that that presents. I know you're just going to dig it. So without further ado, I'm going to stop rambling and we are going to get into this. I want you to hear it straight from the man himself, the one and only David Schwartz, a.k.a. Devious. David Source, welcome to Not Real Art. Yeah, yeah. Dude, you're here. Uh, I'm you virtually, virtually, I'm here. Digitally. Virtually I'm here, here. yes. Yeah. How long have we been talking about this? Oh, more than a year for sure. More than a year for sure. That's right. And, uh, you know, life gets crazy. Things have been nuts. But I'm so grateful that we found time to sit down and talk about, uh, talk about you, brother. Talk about all the goodness that you've been putting out in the world, all the, the passion and the love, you know, for art and for design. And, you know, obviously doing your freelance corporate work and to pay the bills as you're really, you know, as like most of us trying to just be a full-time artist. <laughs> it's a struggle. Sometimes you go in and out of that world. You know, you go from your passions back to, I got to get this money back to your passions. And hopefully you can just merge it all into one at the end of the day. That's the ultimate goal. That's it, brother. That's it. So you, for our listeners who are tuning in, uh, they know already that that because of the COVID age that we're living in, that so many of our interviews have been over the uh, interwebs. And usually we're sitting uh, together in a room, which is always the best and better, right? But, uh, but, he, but here we are. And uh, actually, though, given your coordinates, uh, we may have had to do this like this anyway, COVID or no COVID, because you're actually in Atlanta and I'm out here on the West Coast. So, you know, break it down for me. How long, when did you, when exactly did you move to Atlanta? I left in September, 2019 after almost 10 years, a little more than nine and a half, 10 years. I moved here for work. Yeah, you know, man. For that, uh, it's got to support my art addiction. <laughs> got to, got to, you got to have money to buy the supplies, and in your I case, know. marble and crystal <laughs> and everything else. <laughs> I got to be high yeah. to buy those supplies. So some artists just go buy pencils. You buy crystals and and marble and and hard to find vintage uh, hip hop uh, classics. I mean, come on. Right. Uh, what was I getting myself into? <laughs> well, there are probably a few listeners who may know you from your persona from, you know, like two lifetimes ago, Devious. And five, you said lifetimes ago. <laughs> five lifetimes ago, right, right. You said there might be one or two out there. Went to a Prince concert at some point in the early 2000s. Man, I was, I was you know, I was reading up, you know, uh, about you a little bit. I mean, you and I met through mutual friends and, you know, it's, it's instant love when that happens. But one of the things that I didn't know about you that I read about was how you lived in your car after art school, right? In, in Minnesota, right? To, to pursue your art, pursue your career. You lived in your car. It was in and out. I, you know, I would find a friend to crash with for a couple of weeks or a girl or a girlfriend or, but those, you know, those few hard nights, there was a few here and there where it was just like, okay, well, that's just what I need to do. It's not that big of a deal. It's like, you know, you got to do what you got to do just to, you know, I had options. I had family, um, my dad moved to Florida 
So I was in Minneapolis uh, on my own. I didn't have any family. He he offered me to come down there and live, but I, I was chasing my music and I had a few connections going in Minneapolis. And I, I you know, I could have stayed with him until I got on my feet. I was 18, but that's I didn't have anything going in Florida. I didn't want to move down to Miami. He moved to Miami Beach. And I loved it there, but that wasn't where my music was. So I couldn't. There wasn't an option at that time. Yeah, Florida seems appropriate in like 50, 60 years, you know. like <laughs> Or if you have the money to, to have a good yeah, time right. for a weekend. Uh, I, I was neither one of those things. <laughs> so. But I mean, you know, but I just love that story because, I mean, I feel like, unfortunately, there's a lot of folks out there that don't want to pay their dues or think that it's supposed to come easier if you Google it or read the Wikipedia page or something that suddenly you're an expert or you know your shit. And you know the the, the struggle, the, the blood, sweat, and tears, the, the 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 hard work that goes into realizing our dreams. I mean, I know I paid my dues. You paid your dues. Like that's what it takes, right? I mean, I think it is probably a little easier to pay those dues when you're 18 than it is when you're 40 and you need like healthcare and shit like that. But still, it's the principle. It's the idea. It's forgive me if I'm being presumptuous here, but like that also gets to the nature of being an artist, like the ebb and flow, like it's feast or famine, right? Some days are, you know, are, are easy and some days are hard, you know, it's like, whoo, up and down. Yeah. So you're in Atlanta and you're doing some, some uh, design work today for a corporate client. Are you with an agency there or are you freelancing? I, I am full time with, with a company right now. Well, I tell you what, as we were saying earlier, it's been a minute. We've, we've, we haven't seen each other. Uh, in a long time. And, you know, when I saw you last, you were so generous to introduce me to your your current passion project, the, the Rhyme Capsule, man. I mean, like, come on now. It wasn't even supposed to be what it was in the beginning. It just kept evolving. And once I got in too deep, I couldn't go back because, you know, <laughs> you, can't you, go you back. drown if you go back, you're going to drown. So you've already put so much time and money and effort. And like, if I didn't follow it through, I just kind of went where the idea took me. And I just, I, I put a lot more into it than I thought I was going to have to, but I had to, I had to finish it. I was possessed, yeah. really possessed in a good way, in a good way, but a little, a little risky at the same time. Well, that's, that's what we do, right? I mean, we take risks and, you know, hopefully we don't break, break anything on the, on the, uh, on the, you know, in the process, but um uh, and in your case, with Rhyme Capsule, boy, you know, you have to be extra careful not breaking anything because that thing is so heavy and big and fragile. Like, so when you when you got the idea, take me to that moment. Take me to that day. Take me to the events that led up to the inspiration. And what was that initial inspiration? I have been a designer for 20 years. I've designed a lot of album covers for many artists. I've worked with a lot of artists on their brands. And I've never, I haven't created work for myself in a long time and uh, no physical art pretty much ever. It's all been in the computer. It's all been digital. I've never been to Art Basel, but I've always heard about it. I've never been anywhere like that except for the LA art show is what started all this. I went to the LA art show in 2018. So it was late, late January, early February. I've never been to anything quite like that before. I just wandered the whole space the entire day and just was taking pictures of all the artists names it blew my mind a lot of those pieces there were amazing there some of them were it just felt like a magic trick to me and i was like i want to 
how do how do we create this kind of a magic you know to take up it's so different from me creating in a digital space seeing something in the physical space and how it changes the mood or the energy of the room and the people around it i thought that was really special and all the stuff i've been doing for so long it doesn't it doesn't do that it doesn't have that same effect so it, it possessed me to, i left there just like shell shock like i just came home like how come i'm not a part of this world and how come i'm not making physical art and, it, it, you know, I, I come from entertainment. So physical art to me is like, it's just another form of expression and entertainment and and, and interacting with people in the real world instead of just in digital media. It's, it's a different it's a different thing, but it's kind of where I come from originally is in being, you know, having something in front of people. So I went home and I was like, all right, I have to start, you know, thinking about what kind of, what kind of stuff do I want to make? What am I passionate about? And around that same time, I went to the Melrose Flea Market right there on Fairfax and Melrose, one of those Sundays that they have. And I found some old hip hop cassette tapes from the 80s and 90s. And I bought a few of them because I, I just was holding them and I was just so nostalgic. It just brought back so many feelings. And and it was just so special to open them up and read the liner notes and see all the artwork. And, you know, I just really appreciated that stuff because I come from the 80s and, and 90s hip hop. and. I, I was a huge fan of album covers. That's what got me into designing in the first place was seeing all those album covers. So it was really that nostalgic feeling was really, it was really big for me. And that impacted me almost around the same week that the LA art show did. So I kind of just thought, all right, let me push these two things together <laughs> and see, uh, see what I come up with. And originally I was going to make a huge microphone out of the cassette tapes, but after doing some of the engineering at home and trying to figure out the engineering, I was like, Hey, let well, let me, let me, I'm not a metal fabricator. Let me, let me, I'm going to have to rethink this a little bit. So I was like, all right, what can I make? Which was even sillier because what I did wound up being a hundred times harder than the microphone, <laughs> but, but whatever. So I said, all right, well, I put them, I started buying more and I was blocking them together and I was like, wow, I wonder if I could. And, oh, and the third thing was I was at the uh, Rose Bowl flea market and I found one of those Lucite embedments of, of a coin. Oh yeah, I've, right. always, I've always been fascinated by people embedding shit in lucite and acrylic and stuff, and I, it, that always seems magical too. It's like a magic trick. The shit just hovers in midair and it kind of preserves it, like a, you know. So that kind of inspired me too. And I was like looking at embedment art online, getting inspired by some real artists that are really doing cool shit with embedments. And I was like, all right, I want to embed the tapes inside of the acrylic, and I want to make a boombox. I want to take old plastic boombox parts and glue them to the outside and kind of make make this boombox at home. Come to find out that I met with Pretty in Plastic, which was uh, Julie, and she's shout out, amazing. Shout out, Julie. She, we love Julie. Yeah, she's amazing. So I met with them, I really wanted to work with them, but it, I, I met with a, an engineer who does Lucite embedments, like that's all he does. And he was saying that the cassettes are gonna melt under the heat and the high pressure and all that. So. I thought my whole idea just was, I thought, all right, well, I don't know what I'm doing. I guess it's over. It was a good idea, but I'll have to think of something else. And then I was talking with a friend of mine. He said, why don't you just, you know, make it out of crystal? And then I was like, <laughs> Great idea. It just, like, why was I thinking plastic when I can go <laughs> fucking crystal? And then that changed my whole way of thinking. I was like, holy shit. I can design all the knobs, the speaker grills, I can, everything out of crystal, every single element. That makes up that boombox. I can make it out of crystal and design it all in Illustrator, make vectors, blah blah blah. I was like, all right, I can do this. I'll figure out the rest as I go, and that's that's how it all started. 
<laughs> yes. And then the, the budgeting uh, kicks in and you realize like, oh my goodness, quality, <laughs> that, quality costs. Yeah. Let me, uh, uh, I think uh, buying a condo is out of my future and buying a car. <laughs> and uh, Let me, uh, I'm going to just pretty much erase all of my goals and put everything into this. <laughs> that makes perfect hey, sense. I love it. I love it. it. It does not make perfect sense at all. But I did. So, okay. But I mean, it's joking aside though, right? I mean, like that, that's such a beautiful moment, right? When you, when you realize like what you need to be doing, like what the, you know, you get that clarity for like what solves the problem, like what's going to work, like what, you know, is going to help you realize your vision. So like, but I mean, you don't know nothing about crystal, you know, except except maybe that it's expensive. Like maybe, you know, that, or maybe you don't. I saw, I was at the Swarovski store. I went to Swarovski to just kind of look at some of their figurines and stuff. They have all the Disney characters. And I saw a Stormtrooper helmet made out of charcoal crystal. And it was for sale for eight at the Grove in uh, LA. And it was for sale for $8,000. And it was just this big. It was like (laughs) the size, a little bit smaller than my head. And it was 8,000. And I was like, holy shit. Okay. So I'll probably have to sell this for a little bit. If it's going to cost me something, at least maybe I'll be able to actually sell it for something. So I didn't let the the price, I tried to just put that out of my head and just kind of do the whole Kevin Costner thing. If you build it, they will come kind of approach. That's just what I decided to do. Okay. So that makes sense, right? I mean, you started doing your research, trying to learn, you go to the, you know, check out one of the biggest brands in the space. Then what? I mean, like you just go to Google and you start searching for a lot of late nights. And I reached out to maybe 20 to 30 people that work with Crystal that do anything from trophies to figurines to whatever. And nobody out of like the 30 people, nobody wanted to. And I didn't show them everything I was doing because I didn't want people to know too much. I just kind of did like some sort of replica of something else and was like just to get an idea if they I could work with them. Nobody wanted to take on a custom project of that size and that weight and everything, except for two two guys, one guy in Florida, one guy in New York. The guy in Florida, we, we didn't really, we, I felt like it wasn't going to work. It was the wrong energy. And the guy in New York was was all about it. He was had the right energy. He was like, man, you know, what, uh, whatever you want to do, like, I'll make it work. Like, I provide, I designed everything myself meticulously, every square inch. I measured everything in the computer. I did it in Illustrator. And then we did CAD versions so we could um, send that to get cut from the CADs, the CAD files. You're going to have to educate me because I'm a complete, you know, I'm completely ignorant when it comes to Crystal. So, like, how is Crystal even made i mean is it mined is it made is it how how does how is crystal honestly i mean i need a, a lesson in that because he was he was keeping kind of uh keeping a lot of that stuff to himself but he was sourcing it from secrets. yeah yeah so he was sourcing it obviously they i don't know how it's how it's produced but i know if we gave them cad files they're obviously cutting that with some sort of machine machinery to cut to, to get the exact measurements and then he was sourcing it from europe he said and it's a hundred percent lead-free optic crystal which was the same clarity and quality that swarovski uses and that's all the information that he was sharing with me <laughs> if it's good enough for them it's good enough for me right man i mean i just have so many questions so and obviously so you've got this great partner in new york who is down with the project, wants to do it with you, obviously being a little coy about trade secrets or proprietary processes or whatever. Okay, so you build this thing in Illustrator and then you eventually get to a CAD. Actually, I did it in Photoshop first. 
we did a 3D model before the CAD. That way we did screenshots of every angle of it in 3D. So before we go to CAD, there's no confusion or, or misunderstandings about every single thing that I, that I wanted. And it's funny because even then they, people still find a way to get some things wrong and then it becomes costly mistakes, of course, even after you give them every measurement, every screenshot, every, you know, there's always some things that they take liberty, creative liberties on and you're like, what the fuck is that? That's called the human element, the human factor, right? <laughs> Bro, that's not what I gave you at all. <laughs> that's right. There is no, no poetic license here. You, This no. isn't your project, dude. You listen to what I tell you. <laughs> is that a boombox, a particular model and brand that was special to you coming up? Or did you just like, like what, what uh, example or model boombox did you use to build your prototype? I Googled a whole bunch and I, it's kind of a mishmash of different, elements that I like from different boom boxes, as well as creative liberties that I took to take away or to add, because I didn't want to, I didn't want to make it too busy to where you couldn't see the tapes because the tapes were kind of like the main nostalgic factor and converse conversation piece about this. So I didn't want to get too, too much about, oh, it needs to be, you know, this many knobs here. I kind of strategically took some liberties to create my, my own way, e- even with the sides, some boom box had vents and some didn't. And when I finished this piece, I realized the sides were really boring. They're just flat and there's no interesting things about the sides of the cassette tape. So I did 30 pieces of, of beveled crystal strips on each side and I, I beveled them a few times. So that way, when you walk around it, it looks like vents, but it's also gives off this magical, like, you know, blingy effect. And, and that was actually one thing that I was like, didn't know what I was going to do. And it actually came out to be my favorite part of it. Because when you walk around, that's the part that really really sparkles and shines. Yeah, it sexes it up, man. It, it's beautiful. Yeah, no, it definitely adds that, that certain flavor and yeah. flair. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I didn't know that that was, you know, your embellishment. That's super cool. So you, you so you get the CADs ready. You send them over to this, to this guy in New York. How long do you have to wait before you get your first, you know, prototype? Since we were doing it, it was, it was painful because he kept getting some things wrong along the way. And it took about six months to to get it in a place where he had everything there and he was shooting pictures of it and then of course like one or two things are wrong just one or two knobs are wrong and then we have to wait another two months or you know after so it's like right when you think it's over it's not and then i wanted to be there in new york so we could put it together together i wanted to bring the tapes there personally and fly out there with the tapes on the plane with me and sit down and and when we when we do the uv glue and get everything on there i wanted to be there to make sure everything was was right because i can't trust him you know to to make this it needs to be everything needs to be exactly how how i how i how i designed it so i flew out there with the tapes and sat there with him for a whole day and we put it together and it was it was uh, interesting for me to learn that process and watch how it's all done so it gives me some better ideas of what i could do better the next time or all that also so the 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 podium the marble part originally i was going to do a marble pillar it was just all about, you know, I was going to put it on like a, like a Greek looking, you know, temple pillar. So one circular, yeah, circular pillar. And I was talking to my friend, uh, Isaac, out at, we actually went to see fish that day and we ate at that La Bamba place right by fish, fishes over there. And uh, we had a conversation. He was like, what are you going to put it on, man? It's magical. I was, like, I was thinking a marble pillar. And then he was like, you know, what about like, you know, you remember those like the Greek God statues like Atlas or like Apollo or Apollo's the God of music, but Atlas had the, you know, the globe. And 
I started thinking while we were sitting there. And I was like, I just knew it at that moment. I was like, you mother, I, I already <laughs> knew what I was going to do. And now you just, you put this idea in my head. And I was like, man, now I'm just way off course. Because what am I going to do? Make a marble sculpture? Like, like I'm not going to. I'm not going to do all that. This is so much extra work. That's not what I planned. I went home that night and I was just, I couldn't sleep. I was like, I guess I'm making a marble man. <laughs> marble man. And that was 20,000 times harder than the boom box. And that wasn't even supposed to be the art piece. That was just supposed to be a podium. And it became a enormous process. Painful, 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 Thanks, painful Fish. Thanks process. a lot, pal. <laughs> So I decided to work with Isaac. I said, man, can you work on it with me? He did three, he does 3D work. And so we built it in 3D first and got them the way we wanted it. And then it was a similar process. I found someone in Asia that can um, take our 3D design and part machine the bulky parts out and then hand chisel all the, the fine details and stuff. And of course they get everything wrong. It's worse when you're dealing with a human body. It's a million times worse than a some knobs and buttons that you can imagine. Yeah, at one point he even had a thong on. So, uh, like, it, well, no, he had, he had jeans, but it looked the way the jeans were. It looked like, yeah, it looked, bro, there, oh my God, there was just so many issues. So many issues. You know, you give a perfect 3D render and it just, it strays so much. They just, no attention to detail. So it took, it took hundreds and hundreds of emails and me sketching on stuff for them to understand what I was trying to go for. And finally it got there. And then my nightmare was just beginning with trying to move a thousand pound marble around a bunch of times. That's fun. This is such a slippery slope, right? Being an artist sometimes like, you know, you know, getting these new ideas and inspirations and, and, and it, in some ways it, it, it obviously, you know, elevates it and, and, and blows it up in a beautiful way. But Getting there is just painful. <laughs> never dealing with customs before and never dealing with the problem with a thousand pound piece of marble is it's not so much the pallet, right? Because anyone can have, I, I own a pallet jack now. I have one. You can rent a lift gate truck, all that. The problem is what happens when you want to photograph it or showcase it, right? You have to take this thing off of the wood onto the floor without damaging it, it or the floor. And then when you're done, you have to pick it up and put it back on the piece of wood. That little part right there, it takes eight guys and like a European vacation just to move this thing every time I want to show it somewhere or do something or move it from one place to another. It's, it's a nightmare. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I so having been with you and the piece, that day, I, I we talked about it that day. It's just like, I mean, moving art is an art unto itself, right? <laughs> Which means that it's also a very expensive thing to do, right? If you're going to like, certainly if you're going to outsource that to proper art movers or whatever, that's if you just have, you know, a hundred pounds or something, right? right? <laughs> right. You have, no, 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 my friend, not you. You want a thousand pound some heavy art, literally heavy art. Yeah, man. Not not fun. But boy, does it show. I mean, it is it just exudes such positive energy when you're around the sculpture, around the piece. I mean, it is just so so positive. It has an energy. It has oh, an energy yeah. to it. And you know, it's like the the boom box, the crystal boom box with the cassettes. I mean, 
I mean, I'm not going to say anything that you haven't already said or you know, that hasn't already been said about it, but it's literally the crown jewel, right? Like the, the podium is, you know, is, is the crown. It's amazing. So, okay. So now you, so you decide you're going, okay, I'm going to, I need to get some marble. I need to fabricate or shape some marble. Like, where do you go? Marble.com. I mean, like, <laughs> what does that even look like? Yeah, that, that took a lot of research. I'd say that that took a while to a find somebody that does it that it's going to be uh, somewhat affordable. It's going to be custom to what I want and let me design it, and you you know they can make exactly what I want. And then that the work that they've done is amazing work, so I know that the quality they do is great. And then also someone I can trust. Uh, I have to kind of you know I'm dealing with somebody overseas in Asia that you know, may not speak good English and we've never done business before and I'm going to send them thousands of dollars up front to start. It's kind of like, it's scary for somebody, you know, when I don't, ha- I don't have millions, I can't just like go, oh, I hope it works out. You know, I, I need it to work out. I can't gamble with, with what I have. So one of the things I did was I wanted to do a video chat of them walking me through the factory and uh, the, the person who's going to be helping me sculpt this from my renders and everything. So we did a video chat and then I felt comfortable after seeing the offices and the, the everything. I knew it was real. Someone wasn't just going to go, go buy some Jordans on network uh, app or something. So, all the time, man. Right. So I crossed off all my check marks and uh, sent that money and began a nine month journey with them to getting <laughs> what, what I envisioned. And because of the way this happened, it's not like you're developing the, the boombox and the podium on parallel pads. I actually started the marble first. The marble was was done and in my possession before the boombox was. Interesting. Okay, but it, but it was being was it in being fabricated or they were both going at the same time. Okay, it's just so happened that because I started the boombox first before I even thought of the marble. But as far as producing it, that started a little later because I still thought I was going to do acrylic. And with with pretty and plastic and all that, like I thought I was going to make an embedment. So I didn't start the boombox till the marble was like halfway already through. Right, right. So the whole thing took about 15 months total from from when I wanted to start it. But if I, depending on what happens and what route I go, I, I told myself that I wouldn't make more than three. If I even had the opportunity to, I wouldn't make, I would keep this as a limited thing and just make. I wouldn't do more than three, if not, maybe just this one. But I do want to start offering options of just the boombox on a marble pillar and for a, a, a lesser cost than them selling this main guy for. So I'm doing, I'm making that offering right now. Right. Which, by the way, take it or leave it. But my uh, my partner, Man One, shout out Man One, he just loves the Rhyme Capsule, loved it. And he he said, he, right, right quick, this quick, he's like, oh, man. He should be making some toys, you know. So he should like collect, you know, like short little toys. I'm like, I bet he's on it. I bet he's on it. So uh, I, I am. But that uh, this one, <laughs> this one took a treasure, a treasure chest to make it happen. So I can't. Uh, I gotta. That, that's another thing is it's bittersweet, right? Because I wanted to make something that would get attention. Because I'm, you know, you as an artist, you want to, you want to get your, you know, be able to make more art. But at the same time, this isn't something I can. I can follow that mold of like, oh, I need at least three pieces, you know, to get into a gallery and I need to do a showing and like, like it's, it kind of cuts me out of a lot of that. And I need to build a name by selling a lot of small pieces. And like, it kind of like 
it's bittersweet. It's like it's great in some ways, and then in other ways, it's holding me back from uh, being able to produce uh, a lot of work. It's an interesting uh, journey, and I kind of I had a guy who's a an art collector. I got introduced to by a friend of mine and he gave me some advice and he was like, man, you kind of did it backwards. You know, he's like a lot of, you should start off with the small toys first and got that momentum going. And then you released the big piece and I know he's right, but I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, man. I chase, I just chase my, like, you know, you're, this is my, this is my, I got to go with the flow. And this was the flow. Like I I had to make this and I, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, and by the way, you know, I don't know this guy, so you know what. But but I guarantee you, I, I have big money that uh, money on the fact that if you had talked to him five years ago and you said, "Hey, I got this idea," he would have been like, "Oh yeah, go for it." <laughs> you know, I don't think he would have said, "Oh, start with toys first. But hey, what do I know? Yeah. So talk about the tapes that are in the boombox because that is truly the literally in many ways some might argue the heart and soul of the project, right? I mean, that, that you know, so. It's, so take me through that. Talk to me about what's in there, how you acquired those tapes. So let's start with how I got them. Some of them I was picking up at flea markets, whether it was Rose Bowl, Flea Market, or Melrose Trading Post. There's about six or seven little record stores around LA and Burbank and, and all that. And I would go into a few of those and each place might have like Amoeba usually has like, you know, shitty ones that nobody wants, you know, as far as hip hop cassettes go, they're always sold out or they have like 20 artists there you're, you've never heard of. But there are a lot of the smaller record stores have a large collection of tapes and some of them go for 50 bucks to 100 bucks a pop. So I, I would buy some from them and then I would go to an online store and buy some of the other ones that I wanted to round out my collection I couldn't find in the stores that I was looking for. So it was a combination between in-person and, and online. As far as the ones I chose, I kind of wanted I wanted to keep it to a 20-year period from 1980 to 2000. It just seemed like that was a good block. I kind of feel like that was also a golden era in hip-hop, and some people may or may not challenge that, but I personally feel like it was. Not to say that there wasn't great hip-hop that came out after 2000. I just I felt like there was something really special about the development in the early stages of, and watching it expand fast and all these personalities coming out and kind of shaping it in the beginning. So I wanted to incorporate not just the best lyricists, but also guys that helped influence the culture. So whether it was commercial or it was somebody that was considered a masterpiece album, you know, the the most respected. So there's some commercial albums in there, but there's a lot of hip hop head albums in there also. It spans everything. I wanted to do East Coast, West Coast. I wanted to do everything. A couple people have two albums in there and those were probably people that I took a special liking to or they were just that epic. Like Tupac and Biggie have a couple, uh, Nas has a couple, Jay-Z has a few. So I wanted to to build that out. They're all albums except for a few singles. There's a few singles just because I wanted to get a certain artist in there and I couldn't get the album. So I had to make do with a couple singles. So you had a vision for the artist that you wanted to find when you were on these on these hunts. Oh, of course. Yeah. And the ones I couldn't find, I would just keep a list and I would look for them online. There was a couple artists I really wanted to get in into this one. There was two or three that I really wanted. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't get the tapes. Well, did I read somewhere that like even like a few people or a couple people even gave you some tapes like to put in there? Yeah. So uh, Jackie Thompson, who used to be um, Prince's kind of manager or Paisley Park kind of executive, she, I've known her for almost 20 years and she was working with Prince before I was working with him 
And she's friends with Atron Gregory, who used to manage Tupac up until the Suge Knight days. And he also discovered and managed Digital Underground, and he had, he had a record label. And I got to meet him in LA. Jackie introduced me to him, and I showed him what I was working on when it was just a mock-up in Photoshop. I hadn't even made this thing yet. And he thought it was cool, and he, he you know let me know if there's any way he could help. He would help, and he... Um, he mailed me a few original cassette tapes of Tupac and Digital Underground that were still shrink wrapped from back in the day, like original from his garage. And he also contacted Alonzo uh, from World Class Wrecking Crew, who was in the NWA movie. He was the guy who owned the studio where NWA was recording or, or the, the club and stuff. And so Alonzo mailed me uh, a World Class Wrecking Crew tape with Dr. Dre on it, covered with him from 1985, I think, still shrink wrapped. And and all those are in the. I put those in there. I put them in the. I put them in there. That was that was really really nice of them to to mail those to me. And I kept I kept one uh one of the ones I think one of the sh- the digital ones that he gave me. I kept one of those for myself. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, if he sent you more than one, then. One. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so I mean, I have, I have so many questions, right? But like, you know, some obvious questions. But and I was going to save this for for later. But since you you mentioned him. I mean, if Prince were still with us, like, what do you think he would say about this artwork? Like, what would he, what would he be saying and thinking about what you've done? Uh, man, I, I was thinking about this uh, a couple of weeks ago and I, I thought if he didn't see it on social media and if I just, he just happened to be able to see it in person and we were alone, he probably, he probably wouldn't say anything. He's, there's so much to see. I think he would probably walk around it in a circle a few times and just be quiet and kind of take it all in. And I, I feel like he would comment and like bring up a story about one of the artists in there or like one of, you know, one of his memories from one of the albums that he loves, maybe the tribe called quest or public enemy, which were two of his favorites. And then I feel like he, he would encourage me and he would, he'd probably want me to, to work on something with him for Paisley park and come up with something original, to put in the atrium I really think that he'd probably want to make something with some purple crystal and some marble. Oh yeah. <laughs> I feel like that'd be up his alley right next to the, to the, to the doves in the cage over there. Oh man. Well, you know, you, you were so blessed and fortunate, right. To you know work with him and know him and be mentored by him during, you know, some very formative years. Like, like, and I'm, you know, I've been bouncing around here a little bit, but like, how did he make you a better artist? bit of advice or wisdom or just watching him like how did working with prince make you a better artist fearless fearlessness there was a time when um i was i was first starting out there and i first kind of met him and i didn't i didn't really i had only met him a couple times through my uh my best friend was kip blackshire which was his keyboard player and background singer and um kip took me out there to, to watch them rehearse one day and uh, I was sitting in the back and, you know, he knew a little bit about me. I don't know how much he knew, but he uh, they were just kind of rehearsing for their for their show. And I had been performing a lot the past few years in Minneapolis with my own band. And so I'd done a lot of performances before, but I always get nervous before a show. And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, the, the nervousness I found like it, it hits you um, right before you get on stage. But then after like after about a minute with me, it would be like completely gone. And then I would be kind of like, it kind of goes out the window. Once you see people are, are interested and like they're, they're in a good mood and they're digging it, then you, all the nervousness fights away. But that first few minutes leading up to it and the first minute on stage, really nervous. So I'll sit in the back of the room and while they were 
rehearsing, he waves me up on the on the stage and points to his microphone. And I'm like, all right, well, I can't not do this. So I was like, my stomach was in my <laughs> my shoes. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. So, you know, he points to the mic. So he's playing a song and then like he comes to a break and he's like, all right, go. So I, at that point, I had like dozens and dozens of songs memorized that I had written and where sometimes I would freestyle, but it was, I tried to mix it up a little bit. And I did that for a few, few minutes. And then I got kind of nervous and just kind of went out in the parking lot and just sat there after I'd rapped on a couple songs with him. And then I went outside and just kind of sat there on the curb, like, man, did that just happen? And I wanted to leave before I said something stupid or like wore out my welcome. Uh, you know, I'm just here to watch and hang out. I don't, I'm trying, trying to make music with you as much as I want to. Like, I didn't, I'm not ready for that. So the next day we come out, same thing happened. I'm sitting out there watching them rehearse. He calls me up again. But for some reason, like that day, I wasn't, I wasn't nervous at, at all. Like it was weird. And I sat on stage with him for an hour and we must've did dozens and dozens of songs. Like he was doing Bob Marley. I don't want to wait in vain for your love. And he, there was a, there would be a moment where he would stop and I would come in and he kind of nod like your turn. And then I would go. And then I said something and I made him laugh and I was like, oh, this is going good. And then it just kept going. It's just the energy was good. And I was like, I walked outside and I was like, freaked out. I was like, man, that was like, probably the most special experience of my life. And then Morris, his keyboard player, Morris Hayes comes outside and said something like, well, welcome to the club, man. He said, uh, he said, uh, dude said he wants to work with you. So you're here. And I was just like, I don't know what that means, but I'm here. I'm in. I'm okay. I don't know what that means, but I may throw up. <laughs> but yeah, but okay. It's amazing. So yeah, I remember going to the payphone in the rain. Cause I didn't have, I didn't have any money and my phone was cut off. I remember going to the payphone in the rain to call my dad and like tell him what happened. I say, hey, uh, so Prince wants to work with me. <laughs> I've that got was crazy. Florida after all. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's such a beautiful story, man. That, that is, that is just uh, so cool. I still would get nervous. So he, he helped me learn how to be free on stage and fight any sort of lack of confidence or fear. He taught me how to float. And yeah, man, anybody he's ever worked with that I hear talk about, like how he inspired them. A lot of people say something different, but it's all similar still. I mean, he gave them the confidence to believe in themselves, to say like, man, if, if he believes in me, then maybe I really am this or I'm able to, to do this or be creative. Like I deserve to be creative and I deserve to maybe make, make a living doing art the word that you used uh, fearlessness right i asked you what he you know how he helped him be a better artist i mean that's such a powerful gift you know that he gave you so many artists need that gift if you don't believe it no one else will you you can be you can be humble but you have to you have to know what you can do and and own that yeah you don't have to be cocky but you, you need to know that that you do what you do and, and you do what you do well that 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 is for sure so if Jay-Z called tomorrow and said that he wanted to have Rhyme Capsule on the cover of his next album as key art for his next concert tour and album, what would you say? I'd say, hold on one moment. I have to throw up. And then when I would come back, I would say, um, when, when, when do we start? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Shout out to Jay-Z because I know he listens. I know he's out there. And then B. And, uh, you know, let's, let's do this, man. Let's make this happen. Yeah, man. Cause it, it seems like such a, a natural 
thing. Like, I mean, I, I'm kind of surprised. Has it have any artists come to you or mention that? I've had three or four people with big names reach out and actually more it's more like five or six people now. And then uh when I when I say the price, I get I get radio silence. So I don't I don't know if I'm doing something wrong yet. Only time will tell. But I said what I thought was fair. It's still in my possession as of this moment. Well, I don't know who those artists were or whatever, but in my limited experience with projects like that, in my you know, call me cynical, but oftentimes there's very little or no money because they think you're they're doing you the favor. If this was a pair of sneakers, I know they're used to getting stuff free all the time. And like, you know, if 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 I was a brand or if there was a pair of sneakers, then yeah, but this this was a, a lot more than that for me. So I, I'm not in the position to be able to gift this certain item. <laughs> There's always room for those bro deals and the friends and family rates and shit. If it's the right person, yeah. One of my pet peeves is when artists are asked to give their art up for free or for, for exposure or whatever. It happens all the time. You know, like, you know, so it's just, it's, you know, I just, I, I get a little irritated when I hear about it because it's not fair. It's not right. I, I know people are used to getting stuff for free, but I think, I think the exposure thing is important. But I also think if it was just, wasn't just some rich guy who just wanted to buy it and it was an artist who I respect and have loved my whole life, I would definitely be willing to work something out, you know, because of the kind of um, promotion that would happen with the piece, of course. So I'm also going to start offering the the boombox solo by itself or on a marble pillar for a fraction of what I'm going to sell this piece for. And I'm only going to make, you know, one between one or three of these. So the boomboxes, I might make up to 10 because I can do rock ones. I can do pop ones. I can do R&B ones. I can, I can kind of, you know, kind of run with those. But this, the, as far as these hip hop ones on the, on the marble man, that's, that's kind of just a unique situation. Yeah, you know, earlier we were talking about the energy that it gives off. I mean, it's just such a it's it truly is a a light in the room. I mean, it 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 just is the, it just emanates and exudes this positive energy. You've shown this piece now, I'm guessing to, you know, hundreds of people if not more. What's some of the feedback? What's some of the comments when when people see this and experience it like do you hear common themes from people like 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 what are what's some of the positive feedback you've gotten on social media i've i reached out to a few art pages and it would get quite a lot of views and comments most of the comments were just tagging other people to share it with people they thought would like it and they're like fire 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 hands up emoji heart 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 it's all you know that this is incredible that's amazing there was a a couple well-known rappers that we te- a friend of mine texted it to and how they all had the same response. They would do one fire emoji or three fire emojis or whatever. And that was kind of how people communicate these days as far as uh, online. In person, I haven't got to showcase it yet. So I, I was really hoping to showcase it this year. That was the plan to do it either at the LA Art Show or at some places here in Atlanta. Now that it's here in Atlanta with me, there was a couple things I was looking into and then COVID hit. So I haven't been able to do anything in, in the past year, really. So it's been sitting in a, in a dark room for a year. And it's a shame because I, I was so looking forward to see how people respond to it in person. And I, I guarantee you that room is not dark. 
Uh, that door is shut, but that thing is glowing in there. If you could only see, because it is truly, it is truly like the Ark of the Covenant. It's some Indiana. It's on some Indi- Indiana Jones shit right now. <laughs> it, it is. It has <laughs> that level of supernatural uh, energy to it, man. It's it's just really, really, really awesome. So, as you think about doing maybe up to three of these, right? So we've done one. You've learned a lot, obviously. Is there anything that you will do different the second time to make the process any easier? Is there any ways to... There, there's a couple minor things, but as a whole, to make a second one, I feel like it would be it's going to be 100 times easier. There are still hurdles with, with the shipping and the customs and this and that, but I have all the specs. So doing a second or a third aren't going to be as time consuming as doing the first one. Well, no, it's just interesting because I mean... And I know that technology gets better all the time, right? And like, you know, I understand, or at least like now they have these sort of 3D scanners, right? That can objects and take it right into CAD, right? So like, you know, if you do, if you were to do another one, like looking back, like for, you know, could you take a boom box and, and have it scanned in 3D to, to, to sort of get right into CAD? Is that- It would, it would still need- for the precision that we did on the crystal, that wouldn't work. Maybe for the marble guy, we could do that. But for the crystal, because it's reflective material, the lasers won't, there'll be a lot of holes and that shit needs to be precise in order to do it that way. So the way I did it would have been the right way anyway for, for that. As far as toys, I already have the 3D renders. So I could see that being in the future. I did reach out to the founder of the Universal Hip Hop Museum in New York. They're building a museum in the Bronx near Yankee Stadium on the waterfront. They're breaking ground right now. It should be done in 2023. It's going to be the largest curation of, of hip-hop items in, in the entire world. And they're very excited about having the rhyme capsule there or a rhyme capsule there, maybe permanently, but in the atrium or in the big, like whatever the big room is to have it in the center. We spoke about that and I'm totally 100% feel like one should be there. So I know it's three years from now, but I'm not sure how that's all gonna gonna work out. But it sounds like we're we're both really want to make that happen. Yeah. What 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 are some of the most surprising things that came out of this? Like you know, clearly you got into this just because you want you you're an artist. You wanted to make this artwork. You know, it's born of your heart and soul. Um, so it had to be done. Obviously, it's been a really long journey. Uh, there are many beautiful things that came out of it. Obviously, some stressful things that came out of it. But like when you look back on like two or three things that you really learned from it, what comes to mind? Sticking to the vision. When I think one of the biggest things was is that, and anybody can can learn from this, is that there was a couple of times during this process where I, I, I thought my idea wasn't going to happen at all. When I found out I couldn't, I mean, this whole thing was supposed to be an embedment. That's what inspired me. It was supposed to be an embedment. I found out I couldn't do an embedment. So was I just going to? You know, was, I hit a roadblock, a major roadblock. This thing was not going to happen at all. No way in hell. The tapes will melt under the high heat and pressure. Uh, plastic, it's plastic. It's going to melt. And I took that failure and just sat back and just started having conversations with people I love and people I trust. And uh, turned out, you know, a friend of mine brought up Crystal. And that, through a failure, it turned into, the you know, the biggest success about the project was like, that, you know, if I wouldn't hit that failure, this thing would have been made out of acrylic with some plastic boombox parts on the outside. So you got to go with the flow. 
And when something seems like a L, it may it may actually be a W disguised as a L. So take it a day at a time and and flip that shit. You know, nothing's over till it's over. You just got to keep pushing and make sure you you know bring your vision to life. I think that was the biggest lesson was that I don't I don't get frustrated. I'm trying not to get frustrated when I hit a wall now. I try not to lose my shit. Just try to think of a way around it. Yeah. It's a powerful idea and it's, it's often learned the hard way, right? It's, you know, one of those hard won lessons um, earlier, you said something about going with the flow and, you know, as the flow goes, like sometimes, right. It gets hung up, you know, there's like option and they just got to just find, it's got to find its way around that obstacle and it just takes time. And that's where the patience comes in. And I think, you know, it's hard sometimes, right. To just sort of let things sit. You know, just like let, let, you know, like sit in the pain, sit in the frustration, sit in the. Right. You may not find a solution today. It may take a month. It, That's right. Know, it's, but you can't stop. You have to push through and find a solution. And you might have to settle. You know, every, every situation is different. You might have to settle for some things, but it's, it's, it's just a possibility that an L might not be the L you think it is. So what I got to ask, though, like, because I, I hadn't really thought too much about the idea of lifting it off the pallet onto the floor and then lifting it back up off the floor onto the pallet. Like, what is that process like? Like exactly like. <laughs> it's about six guys that know what they're doing and you need like broom, broomstick handles and you need uh, all sorts of lever, like uh, they had like uh, like metal lever. They have a lot of two by fours, wooden two by fours. And that's probably how they built the pyramids. I would that's imagine exactly in a similar, right. yeah, similar way. You're building a pyramid, yeah. Moving one of those blocks, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm thinking. When somebody, when I do have to showcase this thing, or somebody does wind up owning it at some point, I'm gonna have to deal with those logistics. It's gonna be something. Oh, it's something, all right. It's it, it is something. It's gonna be something. It is such an inspiring story that you have. And that's, you know, why I was just so looking forward to, you know, having you on the podcast and us talking about this because, you know, well, A, you know, to the extent that we can help get your story out there. So other people are hearing it. I mean, for the art collector that does want to buy it, like what, what, what's the price? I don't know. I'm kind of scared to put it out there right now because I, I apparently, cause you'll, you'll probably uh radio silence on me. I think the podcast will be over if I tell you that. <laughs> The price of it seems it seems to be a call. If if you're interested, call. <laughs> right. Wait, wait. Market price. It's a market price, like lobster on the menu. It just That's says right. market price. That's right. Well, the, what I would say is, you know, as much as the market will bear. <laughs> That's what it's going to cost. It's the eye of the beholder. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I appreciate that. No, I appreciate that. And it's, uh, it's just an interesting uh, notion because uh, I know the right collector is out there for it. The website is rhymecapsule.com. Yes. And uh, for, for anyone out there that might be interested in working with you as a, as a art director, creative director, designer, that's davidmadeit.com. Yes. Yeah. Which by the way, I have to say, I was, you and I've met, we, you know, I, I obviously knew about your, your history with, with Prince, which, you know, for me and for so many people, right? Like that's, that's all I need to know. When I was doing a little research, I didn't realize that you, that you also have worked with potentially more provocative characters like uh, Paris Hilton. 
I did, did a lot of work for her over the past 10 years. Album covers, T-shirts, logos, brand decks, uh, websites, uh, all kinds of stuff. Well, actually, I mean, you and I need to talk about some projects. I want, I mean, if you're, you know, if you're down because. Uh, of course, we've, we've talked about this. I'm, 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 I'm going to work with you. I'm ready. Well, we'll, we'll make it happen. Then we'll make it happen. I just, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's this, this, you know, you're talking about roadblocks and everything. I mean. You know, obviously 2020 has been, you know, so weird on so many levels. And, you know, when um, COVID hit, we had our conference that was planned. Um, you know, we do this artist conference. We started in 2019, we do it every year. That's that's where I met you the first time. That's where I came with Fish. I was there with Fish. That that's right. That's right. And uh, it was so we had it. It was all ready to go. Uh, you know, March 20th, I think was the date. And then obviously we canceled it and 2020 has been so fucked up on so many levels, but you know, I personally had to sort of like hunker down and just be like, okay, like, what does it mean? What, what, what am I supposed to learn right now? Yep. The inter- whole inter- entertainment got paused and paused, but big time, man. Yeah. The lie, the, the, just the whole music, I mean, everything. Right. So, and, and it turned out, I mean, on a certain level, like one of the beautiful things that came out of this year for me is it just gave me more time to spend with my kids. We've had dinner as a family together, like every night for the last six months. Like that's, we, you know, sounds horrible, but we never did that. <laughs> I mean, we know we, we, on the weekends. Yeah. You know, we had, you know, on the weekends, but dinner, family dinner on a Tuesday night, you know? So anyway, you just, you know. It's, it's called making lemonade, right? Are you in LA or are you? Um... Well, when the, no, right now I'm in, uh, in uh, Mammoth Lakes uh, area. Okay. We just so happened to splurge and get a, um, like a little holiday place, holiday home uh, last fall. And I just like, who, who thought, right. That it would be like the perfect place to quarantine. So we came up in March and we've been here basically ever since. Wow. So it's been nice because, you know, there's like no people <laughs> and, you know, you don't have to wear masks and the kids can play outside and everything. Of course, now, though, we're dealing with the fires. The fires are Greek fires 19 miles away and we're just killed with smoke. And um, like there's a mountain out my window here. I can't even see it because of all the smoke. And um, we're, we're probably going back to L.A. on Saturday just to get out of the smoke because it's just that bad. But hey, I'm not, you know, I'm not complaining and, uh, you know, it is what it is. We'll adjust, but it's been a, a crazy, crazy year. But um, so you're in Atlanta. When are you coming back to LA? When do I get to see you? I don't have any plans yet, but I imagine uh, some of my consulting will take me back out there next year once everything's anywhere near back to normal. Um, I'm sure I'll be out there at some point in 2021. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get together. We'll do some, you know, fun and and uh, you know. And and by the way, I, before we go, like I, I have to ask, like, are you doing? Are you recording any new music these days? Are you? Like, like what's happening with the music? Man, I've I pushed the pause on that a long time ago. Yeah. 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 And you're cool with that. I, I miss it. And some days, Kip and I kind of toy around with some ideas, but we haven't followed through with any of them in a long in a long time. Yeah, I, I miss. Of course, I miss it. But it's not, you know, I chose I chose to make physical art right now, but who knows? Well, that's the thing, right? As an artist, I mean, you're truly a multidisciplinary artist, right? And so it's like, you know, now you're doing physical art now and that's feeding your soul. And, you know, when music's up next, okay, fine, you know, but. We did do, a, there's like a, ever since uh, 
Prince passed in 2016. There's been a couple um, Prince reunion shows in Minneapolis where some some of his bands get together, and we've done that. Well, Fish and I went up there for that about four years ago, three years ago, and we were going to do one again this year in June, and uh, that all got scrapped. So th- those reunion shows are fun because I don't have to write any new material or worry about you know, the marketing and branding. We just go and play the old shit we used to play with friends. So it's like, that's that's easier to just go up there and rehearse with the guys for a few days before the show. Like, that's fun. I'll, I'll always do that. But as far as new stuff, I haven't been so so inspired to, to finish something. Right, right, right. I'm so grateful I got to see him perform a few times. And uh, some amazing, some amazing experiences, man. I, I saw him for the first time in... It was oh, it had to be oh seven, I guess, oh eight, and he played Chicago, and the Aragon Ballroom, which was you know it was like an old ballroom, so the the venue was pretty small, you know, relatively speaking, and you know a couple thousand people or something, and it's standing room only, you know, so it's you know general admission kind of thing, right? So we got there on the early side, so we get up close to the stage and stuff. And you've probably heard the story a million times, but I've never seen a concert open like this because it was when he used to do the, the like when he'd start like with the lights off. Uh-huh. Right. And so the room is totally dark. And he, and by the way, this was a tour he was with um, Chaka Khan and Larry um, Graham. Larry Graham. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just totally dark. And all of a sudden, like you kind of see this person walk on the stage and pick up a guitar and just starts like jamming right in the darkness right and then a couple of minutes later the drummer comes out starts playing you know totally dark you know then the keyboards then you know then the sax then the you know like everyone in the total darkness and then the the, the lights come on like 10 minutes later when they are just in full swing you know and it was so beautiful man it was just so cool I got it, man. I got so many memories, so many stories. There, there'd be times when, you know, he sticks to the sticks to the script because he rehearsed the show a million times before we go on the road. But because he knows it so well, of course, he has to like change it all the time. So it's like some nights you you don't know what the hell's going on. Like we we had a our first night on tour. We did two shows in Atlanta, and the first night I think we uh, I opened up for him. But the second night, we didn't open up. But he wanted me to come out on the first song, which was Daisy Chain, which was a song that me and him did together that we wrote. It was an album, a song on his album that I'm rapping on. He was like, I'm going to start the show with Daisy Chain. But he never starts the show with Daisy Chain. And so I remember going out on stage. And in the front row, I'm seeing TLC and Dallas Austin and all these people. I'm like, oh, my God, everybody from Atlanta is like staring at me right now in the front row. And, and he he... He turns on Daisy Chain, the beat. He has to lead the song off because he's the one, like he leads the song on that song. I don't come in until the chorus and my verse. So I I don't know what to do. So I'm just standing there and it's Larry Graham's playing the bass and it's been going on. The beat's been going on for about five minutes and I'm just standing there on the stage. Like, I don't know what to do. So I grab a tambourine and I'm just like hitting it because I got tired of standing there with, with my Hand. <laughs> yeah so i'm like they're like is, what's the sound guy doing up there like you know what why is it why is this guy on the stage like is he lost so like i'm just like it went on for like 10 minutes now so 10 minutes 
I'm just banging the tambourine. I just remember like, is he like, is he like fucking with me or something? Like, I don't like, I don't understand what, what's going on. It's like taking forever. Finally, after like 10 or 12 minutes, he starts the first verse. But I just remember like not knowing what the fuck we were doing. No idea. We rehearsed for three months before we even went on tour, but we didn't, a lot of stuff. But then, man, this dude will go, he'll show up to sound check like as they're building the stage, like early in the day at an arena. And he'll sit there at the sound booth and be like, you know, uh, let me hear the hi-hat, the hi-hat. And the, the drum tech will be up there hitting, like, and he'll tell the mixer, he'll be like, I need more high in the, uh, more mid in the hi-hat, more mid, hit it, more mid in the hi-hat. Like he'll go through every little part of that to make sure that sound is what he needs it to be, like every instrument. And then after he does that, which is a super in-depth sound check, he'll get on stage and play for like an hour or two and just run through the sets before people even get there. And then he'll play for three or four hours on stage for the show. And then after that, we go to an after party and he'll play for another three hours for a room full of 300 people. And we do the same shit, plus some other songs that we didn't play that we saved for after shows. So I would watch this shit every day. Like this dude is a vampire. He just doesn't sleep. This shit is crazy. Like music was all day, every day for him was it. Just born to do it. Every detail he's involved in, every single detail. Prince came first, but it's like the Michael Jordan of uh, of rock and roll. You know what I mean? It's just like incredible, right? There's these world-class minds, these geniuses that uh, don't overlook the fundamentals. Because that's like, like they were both masters of the fundamentals, right? Dave, devious. I could do this all night long, brother. I could. Next time we'll do it with uh, with some drinks and without the microphones. Yes, for sure, for sure. And uh, we can maybe even do one uh, with Fish sometime, the three of us. That'd be kind of fun. He was on the show. Uh, actually, he's been on the show twice because there's a joke in podcasting. They say that you're not a professional podcaster until you lose an episode, right? <clears throat> we had done like, I don't know, 50 episodes or whatever. No problem. Fish comes as an episode and it's fucked. Like, I, I don't know what happened to the audio or what I did, but like, it was unusable after like hour, hour and a half, two hours of talking. Oh no. I had to break his heart. I was like, dude, you know, like I wasted your time. Like, I just feel so bad, you know? And of course he, you know, took it like a pro and a champ. It was you know, super, super gracious. So then he came back, you know, a few weeks later or whatever. And we managed to get an episode out of it, but that was kind of a, a, a funny day because Truth, there was something going on with Truth or whatever. And so his phone was blowing up like during the, the interview, right? He had to take the call because, uh, you know, he just stuff going on with the kid. So we got to get him back on. And we'll do one together and we can tell the story about how I took my sneaker off on stage and threw it by his face in Detroit in uh, Joe Lewis Arena and it missed his nose by an inch. And he's playing while he was playing a guitar solo. <laughs> we can talk about that story. <laughs> Well, that's a good I didn't mean to, man. I didn't mean to hit him or throw it at him, but apparently he said he could smell the shoe. It was so close to his face when it flew by. It's like, dude, what the fuck? What did I do? <laughs> oh my god. Okay, yeah, that's a good that's a good cliffhanger for that episode because uh, that, I know there's a good story behind that. My brother David Schwartz, thank you. Oh man, thanks for having me on here. Much love. Be safe. Be healthy. You too. Hey there, thanks for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. And if you haven't already done so, please press the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram at NotRealArtWorld. If you're an artist, 
be sure to apply for our 2021 artist grant at notrealart.com. Sourdough, out. <laughs>